Genre. The Doctor's Companion presents Doctor Who The Long Way Around, the weekly podcast where we review and discuss every episode of Doctor Who, one doctor at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And I'm Nick Jimenez. Today on the show, we'll be discussing The Faceless Ones, which is the second Doctor's sixth story. Uh, the Faceless Ones, of course, uh, comes sort of toward, uh, toward the end of season four of the show. Uh, and this is important for a few reasons. Um, one, it's written by David Ellis and Malcolm Hulk. Malcolm Hulk, who would uh, go on and become sort of a a, a writer um, that uh, would work on the uh, the show a lot. Yes, and an Avenger. Um, actually, ironically, he he did write on the Avengers, um, the, <laughs> the old right. British Avengers show. So. <laughs> that's funny um yeah so they did have a hulk they might not have had captain america but they did have a hulk. <laughs> uh so they uh both separately tried to write doctor who episodes uh in the past and they were all turned down uh that included the hidden planet which is the one that we uh we talked about um I think on the last uh, show, uh, the hidden planet being the one where the the planet that is uh, exactly on the other side of the sun at all times uh, from Earth, and so therefore <laughs> hidden from our view. Um, that was uh, that was his story uh, that didn't get made. Neither did Britain four hundred eight A.D., which I don't know what that one was about, but that was a story that he tried to do. And then Ellis had two stories that were both rejected, called the Clock and the Ocean Liner. Uh, and those were both rejected. And then they they happened to just meet uh, and decided that they would form a writing partnership to take another stab at Doctor Who because they thought, well, we can't do it separately. Maybe we can do it together. Uh, so they uh, pitched a story called The People Who Couldn't Remember, uh, which was then rejected. And then they uh, tried again and they came up with a storyline called The Big Store – which involved aliens who would take over a London department store uh, that were using it as a front for their invasion on Earth. Uh, the group of aliens were a faceless breed who, uh, artif- who were artificially given human features in order to replace people kidnapped in the store. And uh, the, uh, the two, um, our, uh, our producer and uh, script editor, uh, producer Ennis Lloyd and uh, script editor, where are you? There he is, Jerry Davis. Thank you. Notes. Um, yeah. So, uh, producer Ennis Lloyd and uh, story editor Jerry J- Jerry Davis uh, both liked the story, but they felt that the department store angle uh, was lame, and uh, the idea <laughs> of faceless villains taking over a department store was a stupid idea. 
uh, that would never be done on Doctor Who um, ever. Uh, <laughs> Mark uh, my words. <laughs> Mark my words. Never. Um, so uh, they changed it to an airport uh, and then they asked them to uh, – because the – Four-part stories that they'd been doing all season were not uh, uh, fiscally responsible. They asked them to change it to a six-part story set in an airport. So they rewrote the story uh, with that in mind. And uh, we ended up with a story that was going to be called The Chameleons and then was later changed to The Faceless Ones. Uh, Some other things that they found out uh, that they needed to write into this story was that – Ben and Polly uh, apparently, <laughs> apparently, uh, Lloyd and Davis uh, really just could not stand these two characters, what? Uh, and so yeah, I know. Uh, so they were like, yeah, no, they're they're terrible companions. So I want you to write them out of the story and then write them out of the show in the last episode. Uh, and they're like, oh, okay. Uh, and then also introduce a new character who could be uh, a possible new companion, depending on who we cast in the role. And so uh, they created a nurse Penta. Uh, no, they created a <laughs> they they created a a, a character um, who uh, was named Mary Dawson, and then renamed to Cleopatra Cleo Briggs. Wow, <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, and then renamed again to uh, uh, Samantha Briggs. Um, and she was uh, being introduced as a new companion. And when they cast uh, the actress to play her, they were like, hey, so uh, what would you think about becoming the new companion? And she was like, no, no, I don't I don't want that. And they're like, OK, then. <laughs> so she's in this as if they're introducing a new companion. Uh, but she had no interest in becoming a companion once she was cast. And so. Uh, they wrote her out of the show as well, um, and she just didn't become a companion. Uh-huh. Ain't that uh, just the way? Yeah, um, but I do have a lot of I have a lot of thoughts about Samantha, but I guess we'll get to that uh, as we start talking about the story. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and so they uh, they wrote Ben and Polly out. Uh, ben and Polly, the actors, were uh, actually contracted through. Uh, the first two episodes of the next story, which is just such a weird way to do that. Um, I guess it's just episode numbers, and this is just how uh, this fell. I guess, mm-hmm. um, but uh, a certain way, right? But but uh, when they changed this to six episodes instead of four, they were then only contracted through two episodes of the following story, and they were like, "Well, we're not gonna." have them go out halfway through a story that's stupid so instead we're gonna write them out at the end of this story and we'll just pay them for their contracted episodes uh and as like a severance package and so that's what they did and uh they they got rid of them uh and then <laughs> and this is this is the this is the worst part of of lloyd and davis hating ben and polly they're like all right well we got rid of ben and polly um i think we're done here yeah i think we're just going to quit. Yeah. We're done. Uh, so they got rid of Ben and Polly and then they they promptly quit the show. Um, what? Yeah. So 
the I think the following episode is their final episode. Um, I I believe, or it might it might even be this one, or maybe there was like a transitionary period. But essentially, uh, yeah, this was the episode where they announced that they didn't want to do the show anymore because neither of them were big science fiction fans, and so they wanted to go get gigs working on period pieces. Um, what that was a that was like a solid twist in that story is that they weren't even that interested in science fiction they tried so hard to write for doctor who yeah oh no 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 these are this is the oh this is my, the, my bad my, oh yeah this okay. is the producer the producer and the script writer not not the okay. not the not the writers of the story they're the okay. script editor not the so not the writers of the story <laughs> um yeah uh, so yeah, so they, uh, they stayed around and helped them pick their, their, uh, who would be, end up replacing them. Um, and, uh, and that was, that was basically that, um, the only other bit of, of, uh, juicy material is if you guys remember last time when we talked about the macro terror, uh, we talked mm-hmm. about how, uh, sort of absurdly, massive and immovable <laughs> the macra models were uh the macra creatures those were those were created for um uh or those were created for the show by what is the name of their uh by Shawcraft um which is the prop masters uh prop master company that was uh sort of in charge they were like the the you know like the weta workshop of uh sure that sort of thing uh-huh. um so so they uh they built this really uh terrible macro prop and i guess even before that uh the the doctor who production team had had trouble with them sort of turning over a less than stellar prop product um and the macro terror was just uh just sort of exacerbated everything and then um when they came in to do uh to work on the faceless ones uh they built the chameleon's plane and satellite but the satellite didn't work properly uh the bulb on its base blew and there was no replacement on hand and then uh they shawcraft didn't consider how the satellite should be mounted for these model shots and then they suggested well why don't we hang it from a wire but then the wire was unable to support the weight of the model and it broke and dropped the model to the floor shattering it into pieces oh my god uh, yeah. And uh and so they were fired and never worked for Doctor Who again and uh this was the beginning of they did some reshoots uh for the model work specifically and uh this was the first story where the Doctor Who production team started working directly with BBC's visual effects department. Uh and they never hired outside help again. So there we go. <laughs> And that was uh that was the end of Shawcraft. Huh. <laughs> the uh the terrible prop company of early Doctor Who. So. Ashes to ashes. Yep. Yep. Uh so that was uh that was that. Um, you know, uh Annika Willis, who played or Anarchy, Anarchy? I don't know. Anique? I don't know. Anarchy. Uh, uh, <laughs> An- 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 Anique. Anik, uh, Annika Wills, uh, who played Polly, uh, she ended up, um, in the 70s, she, she quit acting and, uh, traveled the world, 
uh, and ended up taking up residence in countries like India, Belgium. Uh, she lived in the United States and Canada for a little while and then has uh, recently returned to the UK, um, I don't know, in the last decade or so. And uh, she started acting again um, in her free time uh, between her art and interior decorating projects. Uh, and she ended up playing the mother of uh, of companion Charlie Pollard in uh, Big Finish Productions, uh, Zagreus and the Next Life. Wow! Look at that. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Uh, and and then Michael Craze, who played Ben, uh, he would end up doing lots of acting stuff, uh, and then ended up taking a regular role on a radio soap opera, uh, and then by the mid 70s he was uh he decided to sort of relax his acting schedule and instead became the manager of a pub and later a hotel uh and, and then <laughs> oh, on man. and then on December 8th 1998 uh he he had a there was an accidental fall at his home and he passed away oh that's yeah so oh, he died in an accident um in uh, 98 so uh, but uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's the faceless ones as far as uh, can you imagine going to a pub and they're like, yeah, Charlie used to uh, and Michael used to work uh, on Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. No, you were in Doctor Who. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Um, so yeah. Anyway, the faceless ones. Um, Is this the first exit we've had on the long way round of a companion, like a like a classical companion? Yes. No, no, that can't be true. Yeah, no, yes. I think I think it is. Wow, because we've been on the beginning at the beginning so much. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, after after because I think the next schedule, I guess the next scheduled exit would be um, <laughs> the uh, yeah uh, <laughs> Daleks invasion of Earth, right? Or no. oh, um, in the schedule. Yeah, Earth is that shock. right? Or. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. That's why I started <laughs> laughing. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay. I forgot. Oh, boy. <laughs> How could you um, forget? I don't I forgot that that was coming up this season. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so, yeah. So, we've got uh, a couple of, uh, couple of uh, exits this, this round of the show, um, which, is, which is interesting. And then after that, I think it's Dalek's Invasion of Earth. That I sounds think right. the next one. Right, and then probably Victoria after that, who we haven't even inter- been introduced to. Oh, but I love um, Victoria. Oh no, no, she's great. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, Zoe's better, but she's good. Yes. <laughs> uh, overall, I was, um, I guess, sort of overall thoughts on this on this story. Uh, I think I, I think I've decided that, like, you know, I. It might not be the best era of the show, but I think I think from Macra Terror to about uh, from Macra Terror to about the Web of Fear, I think this is my maybe my favorite era of Classic Who. Really, um, it's a really good run. Macra Terror, Faceless Ones, Evil of the Daleks, Tomb of the Cybermen, Abominable Snowman, Ice Warriors, Enemy of the World, Web of Fear. That's an awesome run. Yeah. <laughs> That's an awesome ones, run. I mean, like, Faceless Ones is easily the weakest of that run. But I really like it okay. a lot. Um, I personally, uh, like, I, I know that it's not uh, the best, 
But there's something about like being in a, at a 60s airport and like, I don't know, com, com, like invasion of the body snatchers at a 60s airport. Like that's kind of rad. Mm. Um, I don't know. I really like it. I think I, I had a lot of fun with this story. I think it's, uh, I think it's solid. Um, I don't know. What did you think, Nick? Yeah, you know, it, it, it is it is difficult with the reconstructions to, you know, you're you're kind of looking for an emotional in, in some way to kind of like, okay, how can I how can I enter the story, and yeah. and stop thinking about the format and like weirdly Marco Polo, it was kind of easy to do that because it was such a big story, it kind of felt like a storybook, mm-hmm. um, and and so yeah, I I I found myself. I really did appreciate the contained nature of the story. It's kind of one of the first who classic who episodes that I've seen that I would call a thriller. Yeah. Uh and which is something that the 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 new show does uh much more frequently and and really well and this is kind of a primordial version of yeah, this really contained small story about like just a few people. I mean, you know, there's a 100,000 people go missing, but yeah. uh and yeah, and it's all about like the doctor trying to convince and yeah. oh, and like the and the imagery. The, I think I think it had really creepy imagery, which I thought translated really well to the. Uh, and also, yeah, I, I found myself really enjoying these characters. Like the commandant, I thought was a really fun foil, and uh, I'm, I'm really yeah, I, I I enjoyed Samantha, and then I just really friggin' love Jamie in this episode. And, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, um, it's actually. The best. It was a, it was the weirdest feeling at the end, saying goodbye to Ben and Polly, and then it ends. Well, I don't want to talk about the ending, but I really found myself being like, "Okay, bye," and like now I can just now we can just hang out with Jamie. Yeah, because I think the Jamie Jamie and the Doctor have such a singular weird chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, I just it it also it feels sort of like a proto third Doctor story. Um, in a lot of ways, I mean, yeah, it's, and, and then it's earth focused, you think? Yeah. Right? It, yeah. And then it's earth focused and just like the plot just feels that sort of thriller aspect that you were talking about, like mm-hmm. invasion of the body snatchers, just that, that feels like a third doctor story, um, in a little, mm-hmm. in, in a bit, uh, Why but, won't you believe me? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but, uh, I just, I really, I just, I, I really like this a lot. Um, I just really love this era of the show, this sort of, uh, I don't know, it's this, uh, like just this fun 60s vibe. It's just, man, it's cool. It's a mood. Yeah. It's very mod. I mean, we talked about that in, uh, with Macro Terror. Mm-hmm. It's just a very yeah. sort of mod era of the show. And I, and I just love that. I love it for that. So, um, I'm a big fan. Uh, this is the second time I've seen this and it's fine. Um, I don't have a whole lot of opinions either way. It is difficult mm-hmm. because half of it is a reconstruction. Um, and it just sucks that it's Ben and Polly's last story, but they're not even in it for yeah. very yeah. long. That kind of, mm-hmm. um, so I don't, I don't like it when it's like a companion departure and then it's just handled poorly, mm-hmm. uh, which we see mm-hmm. often in classic who, unfortunately. So right. yeah, I don't know this. Like I was saying, this is easily the weakest in this stretch of the second Doctor's stuff, but it's, I don't know, it's memorable, I guess. It's the one that happens in an airport, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I was I, yeah, watching this one, I'm like, wow, they're not leaving this friggin' airport. Mm-hmm. The Faceless Ones, part one, 
Written by David Ellis and Malcolm Hulk. Directed by Jerry Mill. Produced by Ennis Lloyd. Script edited by Jerry Davis. Air date, 8th of April, 1967. The TARDIS lands on a runway at Gatwick Airport, and the Doctor, Ben, Polly, and Jamie run for their lives as a commercial airliner attempts to land. They're quickly spotted by a police officer, causing them to split up to escape. The airport's commandant orders the police box obstructing the runway to be hauled away and investigated. While Polly hides from authorities in a hangar for Chameleon Tour Airways, she sees a man killed by another man wearing a pilot's uniform with some kind of futuristic weapon. Polly finds the doctor and Jamie hiding under a plane and tells them what she saw. The doctor insists she showed them and is surprised to find the man Polly said was killed by a gun had actually been electrocuted. They leave to find someone in charge. Spencer, the murderer, and Blade, his chameleon tour supervisor, decide that Polly poses a threat to their plans and intercept her when the doctor and Jamie aren't paying attention, knocking her unconscious using a pen-shaped device. The doctor and Jamie arrive at the immigrant and customs desk but cannot get by the officer without passports. When Jamie mentions the TARDIS, the officer suspects that they may have been involved with the police box that was on the tarmac and contacts the commandant, who is extremely dubious of the doctor's story. But eventually, he relents and follows the doctor and Jamie to the chameleon tour's hangar so they can prove their story. They arrive, but the body is gone. The commandant, fed up with the whole situation, takes them back to immigration and customs. They spot Polly and draw her to the commandant's attention, but she claims not to know either of them. Meanwhile, Spencer and Blade guide a disguised creature through the airport concourse to the medical center. They arrive and set him down on a bench where we see that the creature has a featureless face on a misshapen head. So, uh, so part one starts with the TARDIS landing in the middle of an airstrip and, uh, Jamie being afraid of a flying beastie. Oh no! Beastie! <laughs> Yay, we're back. I just love, I love that because he's like, it's a flying beastie. And, and <laughs> like the second doctor's reaction is just like, it sure is. Let's run. <laughs> they all run away from the airplane. Oh, it's really great. I love that. Um. I think my favorite thing about this story is uh, the the Bobby that we see occasionally wearing his little Bobby hat, but he mm-hmm. his chin strap doesn't fit around his chin, so it just it just hangs above his chin, and I don't <laughs> I like I don't know why he wouldn't just put that under his chin where it belongs. Mm-hmm. Uh, put just, that under your chin where it belongs. It's <laughs> just the weirdest. <laughs> It's just the it's just one of those like weird classic who things where like the actors just they don't respect their costumes or like they don't know why they have them or what purpose yeah. any of the things serve or you don't know how long they've had this script. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I love that. Um Yeah, so uh there's that bit where so so um Polly sees that murder and uh yeah, or what she murder. Yeah, what she thinks is a murder anyway. Mm. Um and uh she comes and she tells the 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 doctor and everybody about uh the murder and then they're like, "Well, let's go investigate." And then Jamie and the doctor run ahead and she's like immediately taken from behind them and they don't even notice. Mm-hmm. They just It's it just keep it going. might be a record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I think it's I think it's uh I I mean, it's it's sort of um indicative of the philosophy that uh, the the producer and story editor had about Polly and Ben—just like just get rid of them. Like they're not even—we're not even going to miss them. 
uh, if they're not here. Yeah. And as a writer, I am so empathetic of that feeling. But <laughs> at, but at the same time, I'm like, come on, guys. Like, yeah. Uh, poor Ben and Polly. Poor Polly. Um, yeah. I love that. Um, well, and then there's this moment where um, the main sort of uh, – the main sort of, uh, I don't know, faceless one dude. Chameleon? Uh, yeah, the main chameleon. He says, um, we'll, we'll have to she, – she's like, my, my friends are going to worry about me. And he's like, well, we'll have to do something to stop them from worrying. And then he just looks directly <laughs> at the camera. And he's like, what's, <laughs> what's happening? What's going on right now? Where do I go next? Yeah, why are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, that whole scene where the doctor is trying to report the dead body is, uh, oh, and, J- and he's just, and Jamie just be like, the ray gun killed him. Yeah. Just <laughs> shut up. <laughs> it was a monster. He had a monster <laughs> face. I always love how earnest Jamie is no matter what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, because because it's all it's all on equal footing in his brain. Right. Like to to Jamie, there's no difference between an airplane and a ray gun. Right. Because <laughs> they're yeah. both insane future contraptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's he's just, just yeah, like, it, why why can't I talk about the ray gun? <laughs> there's there is a, it's a very much more much more anxious, but it's kind of a, like a buddy the elf type of character where he's like there's a new soul yeah <laughs> yeah jamie jamie would put uh would put uh maple syrup and m&ms on spaghetti i think yeah. sure he'd be like what's what's all this yeah then yeah he'd do it i think he'd, <laughs> I think he'd roll with it um yeah and uh and then like the uh the, the cliffhanger to this first episode it's um it's one of those annoying classic who cliffhangers to me, uh, which is that like it's not really a cliffhanger. It's just like, hey, look, this thing's weird looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, What's it's not this? even doing anything. Yeah, it's not even doing anything menacing. It's just like the two guys like leading a faceless one into like the the medical facility, and then it just pans up and you see that it doesn't have a face. And I'm like, all right, yeah. I mean, they're more like post credit scenes than cliffhangers. Yeah. Yeah, because like half of half of the Marvel cl- uh, post credit scenes are like, well, we have this thing, and right, what what the hell's that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's what's a Thanos. I don't know. They're gonna meet the twins next year. <laughs> remember, when, remember when people thought Thanos was Hellboy? Do you remember that phenomenon? Oh my god. <laughs> Where like that first yeah. reveal of Thanos, like I like people in theaters like everywhere who don't know like sure. deep cut Marvel characters were like, mm-hmm. is that Hellboy? Is Hellboy gonna be? <laughs> That's amazing. The Hellboy next space. movie. And it's like yeah, Hellboy is sitting on a on a throne in space now. That's <laughs> That's so. He funny. really didn't want to be a dad. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's part one. The Faceless Ones, part two, written by David Ellis and Malcolm Hulk, directed by Jerry Mill, produced by Ennis Lloyd, script edited by Jerry Davis, air date 15th of April, 1967. At the Immigration and Customs Desk, 
Polly explains that her name is actually Michelle, an English governess from Zurich. When the commandant calls for the police, the doctor and Jamie make a dash for it, hiding behind newspapers to avoid detection, and then splitting up to find clues. Meanwhile, the faceless creature and an airport employee named Meadows are set up with armbands and headsets by Nurse Pinto, and the creature transforms into Meadows' duplicate, and they send him back to work in air traffic control. Polly's duplicate now works at the Chameleon Tour's desk, where Jamie keeps watch as a young woman named Samantha Briggs arrives and asks about her missing brother, supposedly in Rome on a Chameleon Tour. Polly tries to stall Samantha, but she says she'll wait and sits next to Jamie, who mentions that the doctor may be able to help her. The Commandant absolutely refuses to listen to the doctor and calls the police on him. Ben investigates the Chameleon Tour's hangar and opens a packing case to find the real Polly sitting in a trance. Ben is attacked by Spencer with the same pen-shaped device used on Polly. While investigating the kiosk, the doctor sees Ben getting attacked on the monitor. He reaches the hangar, but with no sign of Ben, he searches the area and opens a packing case to discover the trance-like body of Meadows. Suddenly, a pleading voice is heard over a loudspeaker that draws the doctor into the office where he is sealed inside as a freezing vapor seeps through the grills in the walls. Jamie and the doctor sort of run for it um after <laughs> being sort of detained they just run for it and then they hide behind newspapers god like, that's my part favorite two, part two is a lot of hiding behind newspapers like they don't just do it once they do it multiple times and it just keeps working i'm so um, sad that this is one of the episodes that doesn't exist because i would give so much just for the, like the five second clip of them like talking and then putting the newspaper up over their face and then like ducking around it again it's so funny yeah. Yeah. It's a real like, oh man, grandpa got in trouble again. <laughs> <laughs> Run, boy. Uh, so, yeah, so while they're on the run trying to investigate what's going on with the missing people uh, and that murder, um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the chameleon aliens are testing the senses of a, of a newly, uh, newly christened faced one. Um, <laughs> one of the. <laughs> <laughs> one of the doubles. So what they're doing is they bring in humans and they they siphon off that human, all of that humans. They make basically copy paste their brain onto the faceless ones, mm-hmm. and uh, and then and then also uh, give them the form of the of the human that they're taking over. So they have all of the memories and stuff of the uh, the original human person, but then they also remember being a faceless one, and they know what being one of these chameleon dudes means and mm-hmm. what their purpose is and whatnot. They're just better um, Zygons. They're like, essentially, yeah. They're more efficient Zygons. God, this really is like it, – it's it's like a proto-Zygon and a proto, uh, proto-Auton story. Yeah. Like you just – they just combined – they just took this and then separated out into two more iconic aliens. Aren't we doing Zygons yeah. this block too? Yeah, we are. Oh yeah. shit! Oh shoot! Yeah, we got, we got, <laughs> we got Zygons coming up soon. Nice. Um, yeah. So that's our fourth Doctor story. Um, well, I guess it has to be. That's the only time the Zygons show up. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, and then we meet Samantha from Liverpool, <laughs> who who is very mod. She is very mod. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Samantha. I kind of wish she had become a companion, to be honest. She's great. 
I love her. She's, you know, talking about proto, she she kind of has like a proto Amy Pond vibe a little bit. She does kind of, yeah. I was going like, to say, uh, gonna... I was going to say like proto Zoe, but we haven't met Zoe yet. Sure. But yeah, that's true. She's not <laughs> quite as, she's not quite as insanely intelligent right. as Zoe. But, but Zoe's that's... like from like the, I don't know, right. the year 3000. Like this is if Zoe was from like the 60s. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. But yeah, but she kind of has that eye-rolling 90s quality that Amy Pond had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dissatisfaction. She does. She does feel like the most uh, Moffity classic companion. <laughs> <laughs> she really does. Um, I mean, she get. I mean, she she goes for it. She 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 does some flirting later on. Yeah, mm-hmm. she sure does. Uh, if you're talking about my Jamantha, uh, <laughs> my Jamantha uh, ship, then uh, yeah, we'll get there. We'll oh, get man, there. Jamie did not wake up this morning thinking that the day was going to go the way that it did. <laughs> no. In multiple, I think that's every day for Jamie. Um, <laughs> What's going to happen today? I think that's just his life now. <laughs> I think every day he wakes up and says, "Today is going to be the day that it's normal, and <laughs> and everything Whatever is that means. fine. We'll just hang out and do nothing. It'll be great." Oh, what the hell is that? Oh no. <laughs> Doctor, what's happening? <laughs> Jamie, run! <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. So, uh, so, so Polly's in a crate now, um, yeah. because uh, she's been switched out with uh, a faceless one, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's a lot of uh, her her faceless one is um I it's. It just it just feels mean. I don't know. Like I know it's Oh like oh like the character the character seems like a mean character. No, no, it it feels mean what they did to the faceless one uh Polly because they like turn her into uh, someone else. Mm-hmm. They just oh, she just right. looks like Polly and then she just straight up gaslights the doctor and Jamie and it's just it's what a are you bummer. About? Yeah, it's just a bummer. I don't know. The faceless ones are mean. I love that she's supposed to be from Germany, but then like she has the British accent, and then they meta it. Yeah, they gave her such a weird backstory. <laughs> yeah. For... yeah. I mean, it, it kind of speaks on to like you know a government's lack of knowledge or investigation into a culture before like janking with it. But yeah, the fact that they were like, "You are now from Zurich. It looks like it's pretty close to London, where you're from. Make it work." <laughs> Make it work. How different could it be? <laughs> uh, and yeah, and then she has that bit where they're just like, "If you're German, why are you speaking English?" It's not even. <laughs> it's not even. Why do you have a British accent? Yeah. It's why are you speaking English? And she's like, "I yeah. went to school." Blah 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 blah. Why are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, and then we get uh, we get the. That that uh, man, that Jamantha stuff. I'm a big fan of the Jamantha stuff. <laughs> I just just Jamie and Samantha like hanging out in a in a lobby, just like sitting next to each other, waiting for answers, uh, and just like talking amongst themselves. I'm just like, I don't know. I'm a big fan. I like I <laughs> yeah, like them. They had they had good chemistry. Yeah, the the, the two like the different accents kind of was 
musical together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a reconstruction. I was like, oh, I like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, their energy kind of made the reconstruction more bearable than other reconstructions, mm-hmm. I think. Because mm-hmm. uh, they had like a vocal energy that I could feel even when the images were not – didn't have a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like, like the Liverpool accent and the Scottish accent were just so distinctive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um one of the more creepy things in this story is probably the man in the crate begging for help without moving. Oh yeah. Uh like like hearing like the voice in your head almost. Yeah. I'm suffocating. Help me. Help me. And I was like, oh God. Uh, that's horrifying. That, <laughs> that sounded so much like Peter Capaldi. It was freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the crate man? Yeah, the crate. Like, help me! I'm suffocating! And I was like, oh, that's exactly it. I thought the voice <laughs> wasn't coming from the dude. It was coming from the office to lure the doctor there. Oh, it was oh. still creepy. Oh, yeah. the, the, it was just the juxtaposition of the voice and the man. Okay, yeah. That makes that sense. Was, <laughs> it just, the fact that he wasn't moving. I mean, no one was moving. It's a reconstruction. But it just, it was, it creeped me out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and also, also kind of moffity. That kind of like what a, what a child would find scary. Yeah, that's true. I am a child. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just, it, it, it kind of sounds like something you would read in like a Goosebumps story. It's like I could hear the voice, but the, 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 its body was, wasn't doing anything. Oh, yeah. You're afraid and of Then a hand too. reached my arm. Chapter two. It was my mom. Right? <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> Dummy. Every every cliffhanger in goosebumps. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like Doctor Who cliffhangers. Then, it's true. That <laughs> is also true. Uh, and then episode two ends with it getting cold in her. Hmm. Um. Like a vapor or something. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to. They're trying to freeze the doctor. This this whole story. I I love that uh, the doctor is the MacGuffin. Like they just. They want to turn mm-hmm. the doctor into a faceless one real bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they keep putting him into situations where they almost get him. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Their first attempt is trying to freeze him solid in a room. Uh, and that's, uh, that's our cliffhanger for part two. The Faceless Ones, part three, written by David Ellis and Malcolm Hulk, directed by Jerry Mill, produced by Innes Lloyd, script edited by Jerry Davis, air date 22nd of April, 1967. The doctor notices a closed circuit camera watching him and covers the lens, causing Spencer to investigate. Inside, he finds the doctor huddled on the ground, but as he bends down to check on him, the doctor fires the freezing pen device at him and escapes. Jamie and Samantha have explained the situation to an inspector from Scotland Yard when the doctor finds them. The doctor tells the commandant about the stupefied man in the packing case and suspects it is a worker from the airport. He presents the paralysis pen to the commandant and introduces the idea that they may be dealing with an alien force. The commandant is very skeptical, but Inspector Crossland seems intrigued. The doctor explains that Chameleon Tours is actually a front for the mass abduction of young men and women. Convinced by this strange turn of affairs, the Commandant gives the doctor the freedom of the airport for 12 hours. 
Inspector Crossland presents himself to the Chameleon Tour's kiosk and wants permission to meet Blade aboard his next flight. Crossland confronts Blade on a busy plane ready to take off. Crossland's questioning gets too close to home for Blade, and he is asked to stay in the bulk of the plane while Blade cancels the flight. The plane starts to take off, and Crossland forces his way onto the cockpit, but there are no throttle controls or the usual displays. Crossland is clamped to a chair, and the flight takes off. Blade then activates a device and tells Crossland that if he wanted to know the secret of chameleon tours, he can see for himself. As Crossland watches on a monitor, the passengers in the plane disappear from their seats. The The doctor, before he completely freezes, he uh, gets a little shocky thingy, a little the, the mm-hmm. thing that they use to, to, to freeze people without cold weather. Uh <laughs> And uh, he hides it and then pretends to be frozen. And the guy comes in and he's like, oh, I got him. And then the doctor <laughs> zaps him with the thing and runs out of the room. Um, great. It's funny yeah. that both of their like offensive technology, like offensive technologies are like hot and cold. There's like no in between. Oh, yeah. It's just like yeah. I have a, a freeze pen that makes things cold. And then I have a ray gun that burns things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The two things you can be. (laughs) Face or no face. (laughs) Cold or hot, face or no face. (laughs) British or Scottish. Scottish. (laughs) As we we learn, you can only be one or the other because Mm -hmm. you can't be German. Uh, (laughs) It's either British or Scottish. Those are the two options. Uh, and speaking of Scottish, we get our second Scottish character, uh, mm-hmm. who is, uh, a, a inspector from Scotland Yard mm-hmm. who shows up and is like, what's all this then? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, the, and the doctor's like, this is all this then. <laughs> and explains the situation. And, uh, and the airport guy is just like, all right, this is dumb. And the Scotland Yard guy is like, no, no, no. Let's hear him out. <laughs> yeah. Seems reasonable. It seems reasonable. He's like, they're aliens. (laughs) They're what? (laughs) Oh, man. I love that. Um, Yeah, I I like I really like the Scotland Yard guy. I like that he he's just strolls around very confidently like he owns the place at this airport with his pipe hanging out of his mouth. And it's just. Mm -hmm. Really on the doctor's side this whole time. He he really likes the doctor. Yeah, it's a welcome sea change. It is. It really is. Um, and uh, and eventually the 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 inspector uh, convinces the head of the airport to basically give the doctor free reign of the airport for his investigation. <laughs> Not only which, don't arrest him. Yeah. <laughs> Not only don't arrest him, but let him go wherever he wants <laughs> mm-hmm. and do whatever he wants. But uh, who doesn't have free reign on investigation is Jamantha, but that doesn't stop them from no, going to town are, on investigating together. It is great. It is good. No better way to start a new relationship than just some sleuthing. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It is the best way. Um, yeah. And then uh, the inspector ends up on an airplane, on the airplane, to, like, check that out. And then he finds out that uh, 
the airplanes for uh, Chameleon Airways, uh, they they go up and then everyone disappears. Uh, it seems. It seems that they disappear. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's uh, he's like, oh, that's weird. Um, just, uh, just sort of like a full on lost slash leftovers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a real Lindelof kind of move. <laughs> man yeah now yeah like got like a rod serling kind of how someone should make like a rod serling style like lost opening Mm. that would be cool that would be really cool uh so i said rod sterling on back to the future minute and we still get like shit about it yep (laughs) anyway this popped in my head (laughs) yeah I remember that one star review. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's it. That's that's part one through three of the faceless ones. It gets weirder. It sure does. Uh, so we'll have we'll have more to talk about uh, in uh, in part two, where we talk about uh, episodes four through six. Uh, in the meantime, if you're on Facebook, go join our uh, Facebook group. The uh, Doctor's Companion listener group. Go check that out and uh, talk to us there. Talk to us about the faceless ones and all that stuff. And uh, obviously, you know, the show is coming back soon. So we'll be, I'm sure we'll be posting, you know, trailers and all kinds of stuff uh, as it starts getting released. We're really, it seems like we're really ramping up on the marketing of, of all yeah. of that. So <clears throat> it, It's a miracle we didn't talk about any of it today. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, let's keep it that way. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we'll be back, uh, with the, the faceless ones part four through six. Yeah.